In just a moment, I'll be adding Jose Hernandez and we'll be diving into stock market secrets. How's it going, Hans? Hey, brother, how's it going? All is well, brother, how are you? Super excited for this discussion, as you can see, man. Um, whenever I have the opportunity to talk stocks, whenever I have the opportunity to talk about wealth building, generational wealth, you know, I get super excited. So thank you so much for making the time. Of course, it's a pleasure. I've, I've been looking forward to this all day. So I know it's going to be a great, great conversation. Absolutely. First and foremost, let me take an opportunity just to tell the listeners a little bit about, you know, what I know about you, you know, first and foremost, when I was looking to, um, you know, bring experts together to create this Wealth and Legacy Summit, the one core thing that I was paying attention to was individuals who just have a heart to serve, individuals who are out there looking to educate, to make a difference. And brother, I have to say, you definitely do that on a consistent basis. For you all that don't know, um, Jose Hernandez, he runs his own company, Financial University. He's, I'd say, a financial educator, investment educator, just like myself. Prior to that, he worked uh, with a wealth management firm and was managing over $20 million in assets, right? He left when the company told him that he can no longer post on social media. And he said, you know what? Like he felt like this was something that he was called to do. So he just took that leap of faith to continue to educate. And brother, you've, you continue to have such a powerful influence in in our community so it's so great to have you here today i appreciate that hans it means a lot and when you hit me up and let me know that hey i'm running the summit and i'd love for you to be a part of it it really meant a lot and uh you know i've been doing the social media thing now for about a year and a half and i've been going extremely hard at it given the opportunity cost of what i left on the table so um you know this is the lane that i've kind of picked for myself and i'm going to go hard at it and be as valuable as i can to people Absolutely. And for you all who are listening, I wanted to use this as an opportunity to say something which I know is going to be so powerful. Many people are very competitive, right? They, they view another person who is in their space and then they say to themselves, oh my gosh, I need to, you know, hoard everything. And I, I look at individuals like yourself. I look at individuals like Kevin, you know, with uh, Building right. Bread. You all are all investment educators, but when I was creating the summit, I reached out to you because there's something powerful with having unique perspectives, right? You cannot Definitely. learn everything from only one individual. And also the way that you view things are different. So that's part of why I wanted you to have you here for this live workshop. And uh, yeah, so first and foremost, can, Jose, can you tell the audience a little bit about your why? What really Absolutely. drives you to kind of show up every single day ready to deliver? Absolutely. I appreciate it. So um, for me, I think it's important for people to know that I don't come from the best socioeconomic background. Uh, a little bit about me. Me and my family are actually immigrants to the United States. I wasn't born here. 
Uh, we actually came here from a country called Venezuela, which if anyone knows how things are down there, they're not great. Um, parents brought me here with nothing to their name. And from a very young age, I learned how important uh, money was. And, um, you know, we struggled a lot and I saw a lot of things and had to go through a lot of things because of the lack of money and because my parents didn't really have anything to their name. Um, and as I got older, I started to really understand that, listen, my parents are getting older. They still don't really have much to their name and they're more or less counting on me to help them and in a way almost repay them for the sacrifice of leaving everything that they knew to come to a completely new uh, country. And uh, that's something that I don't take lightly. A lot of my own personal goals are really closely tied to helping my parents out. Um, mm. So I know they're they're really leaning on me. But you were talking about perspective, and I definitely have some perspective because, you know, I've been blessed enough to work in the professional wealth management world and the professional finance world, which is a completely different type of background from where I'm from, right? And I've seen both worlds. I've seen what it's like to grow up in poverty. And I've also seen what the world of money looks like and, and what uh, it entails. So for me, I think that I've been blessed enough to have the opportunity to get some of that real world experience and use that experience to actually educate people and help them understand some of these things that my family just didn't know when they brought us here to the United States. Um, you know, uh, and I think there's a lot of power in being somebody that's actually done the work in the professional setting and can actually relay the information and a message in a way that's understandable is approachable because especially my generation, but you know, minorities in general, we feel like uh, that these subjects are difficult to approach or it's just way over our heads or it's intimidating when in reality, that's not the case at all. It's just a matter of perspective and understanding and just getting access to the information in a way that's not as, uh, you know, straight edge as Wall Street makes it seem. So for me, a big why, like I mentioned, is being successful not only for my own sake, but being able to really help my parents out and then using what I've learned so far in the professional world to make an impact on other people and help them understand the fundamentals of what it takes to start building a real strong financial picture for themselves, for the families, whoever they're doing it for. Um, so long story short, I would say that's really my why. So if someone is listening to this live right now and the person is saying to themselves that um, I don't feel like I can build wealth, right? For whatever reason, it could be that they look at their income, they look mm -hmm. at their expenses. It could be that they have, you know, a ton of debt. It could be that in their family lineage, no one has really built a tremendous amount of wealth. For that person who's listening, thinking that the acquisition or the building of wealth is something that's difficult, what do you have to say to them? Definitely. I come across these types of conversations all the time. Uh, I think it helps to understand that this doesn't happen in a day. It doesn't happen in a year. I think a lot of people put the pressure on themselves to become a millionaire in a year when in reality that's often not how it works and even with investing it's actually good to have a long-term perspective as you know and uh, I think that the most important thing that helps anyone do any of this is having a strong why that's really what it comes down to because building wealth is hard it takes it takes sacrifice it takes discipline it takes a lot of things that 
uh, are not just natural or easy to do, right? Uh, if you have a strong enough why, though, if you have strong enough mm -hmm. goals that you're, mm -hmm. you have conviction about, like I was talking about my parents, that gets me up every single day, mm -hmm. and I know what I'm competing for. Yeah. Um, you know, that right there is is what really can help drive you. So it's yeah. not just saying, okay, well, I need to save more money or pay down debt. Yes, those are things that you have to do. But that's the actual action you have to take. Why? Not enough people really understand that there's a there has to be a strong enough why. Something that you're actually looking to accomplish in terms of the wealth building and what you're mm. building that wealth for. Because if you don't have context around what you're investing for, if you don't understand what the goal is that you're investing for, it makes things much more difficult. So starting off with that why and then understanding what are the actionable steps that I can actually start taking to start getting from point A to point B. So knowing where you are right now, knowing where you want to be in the future and what you can start doing to, you know, progressively work towards that part. So maybe it's starting the emergency savings fund, or actually if you're in a place where you can start investing slowly, starting to invest while working at the other areas of your personal financial life, they're going to move the needle, becoming more valuable in your profession, making more sales. If you're in sales, those sorts of things. But um, it's, it's so funny because I talk a lot about mindset and my own personal content, but all this stuff really has a lot to do with it. You know, understanding PE ratios and all that stuff is great, <laughs> but there has to be a really, really strong why at the end of the day, because this yeah. stuff, if, if you don't have a head start in life, which I certainly haven't, um, mm -hmm. sometimes you have to dig a little bit deeper. You have to. And with the, just the current climate of um, the U S it, it, what you said is so true. If you don't have kind of like the background, if you don't have a good start, you have to dig deeper. You have to put in almost about three times to four times, probably even five times the effort and attention yep. to building wealth. As you were sharing the reason or people finding the why for building wealth, it took me back to when I arrived in the US. And I remember, you know, I started out in Bronx, New York. And for me, Jose, my why was I didn't want to ever be in a position where if a family relative or if a close friend needed help, I couldn't help them. I didn't want to be in a place where I couldn't, you know, make an impact, right? Whether it was charities that I wanted to support or being able to live life however I desired, I, like those core things, or if I should say that focus on giving was one of the core driving forces behind why I do what I do. So as you were talking about the why, I, I realized that you're right. So for people listening, you know, what is your why? What is going to drive you to want to go out there and build wealth? What is going to drive you to want to educate yourself, right? To, to be on this live like you are right now and soaking all of this in, right? Your why is what's going to keep you going beyond anything else. So, um, brother, if I can ask, as you are working, you know, in wealth management, what's the core difference that you notice between the super wealthy and let's say the middle class or individuals who don't have a ton of money, what's the core difference? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a fantastic question. And, you know, I did get to see some of this while I was in that world. Um, the people that have really made a impact in terms of their, their wealth 
have had a couple of things. I mean, they've had the ability to consistently increase their income over their careers, whether they had a corporate career, whether they're an entrepreneur, whatever they both, they're always working to increase the value that they provide to whatever person that they did business with and their sales, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. People need to understand that as a part of the wealth building process, it takes money, right? It takes mm-hmm. money. And it doesn't take all the money in the world to get started, but if you really want to accelerate the process, if you can invest in yourself, become more skilled at whatever it is that you do, that's mm-hmm. definitely going to help over time. Uh, they also were disciplined, right? They uh, they knew that they were building for something. So going back to the goals and the why and everything, anytime you come up against a decision financially, should I go buy this nice car or should I invest this money? It, they knew what they were building for. And that makes that decision much more easier. And it's a lot more easy to be disciplined when you know what you're building for and you have that level of context. And they just consistently accumulated assets throughout their careers. That's mm. the name of the game. Mm. Um, you know, early on, if, if it's if you're working hard to you know, build your business or whatever, I understand that takes some money. But once you're in a, a point where you have the ability to invest, you have to really just focus on the accumulation, the aggressive accumulation of assets, whether that's mm. equities or the stock market, whether that's real estate, whether that's both. That is what is the definition of wealth, having Mm. more assets than liabilities. Mm. So the aggressive accumulation of those assets, being disciplined, working hard to increase their income, become more valuable to society or their their corporation or wherever they were doing business. Mm. uh, I'd say those are the things. And then just just really always working to be better. Um, I had the the privilege of working with some people that I would like to say were really elite at what they, they did. I look up a lot to athletes because I was an athlete my entire life. And, you know, I think about the Kobe's rest in peace, you know, the MJ's, all of those always working to just get better. And uh, I think that mentality really translates over into the wealth building as well. It's again, all goes back to mindset. Yeah. For you all that listening, you know, one of the things that Jose said is their consistency and building assets and, and becoming more valuable. And I wanted to touch on that. You see, for even for myself, when I was younger, I used to say things like, oh, I'll be a millionaire in uh, you know, five years, or I'll be a billionaire. Like you just say these things. And back then when you're young, you don't really understand how to even achieve that. And now I've gotten to a point where I realize the way to make that possible. And that is in the value that you as an individual provide to society. So instead of people just saying, I want to be a billionaire, I want to be a millionaire, figure out ways that you can become more valuable and then figure out how you can transfer that value to other people. And the way that you do that is by serving. Because what you don't realize is that if you want money, there is only one place. Well, it's not really one, but you know, hear me out. There's only one place that you can get money. It is from another person, right? Okay. No, one, no one makes money. So the way you get money is from another person, which means that to be able to get more money, you have to be providing a ton of value to a lot of people. And once right. I understood that, it made me shift my mindset from always thinking about, oh, I'm going to you know, make this amount of money to 
how do I serve a lot of people? How do I consistently become a valuable person, right? Whether it's the acquisition of knowledge, the acquisition of skills, you know, um, increasing my network to meet and know people like yourself, you know, Jose. And, and that consistent growth is what makes you valuable. So along those same lines, let's transition to talk about stocks. Sure. So for the average person, when they hear stock, right, they, they are just thinking of a number like, a, you know, a number <laughs> on Yahoo Finance or CNBC. Right. What is a stock? Yeah, so at, at a basic level, all a stock is, is it represents a, a fraction of ownership in a company that you can buy or sell on the stock market. So, you know, you look at a share of Amazon. If you have one share of Amazon, you are in a small proportion an owner of Amazon. Yes. And when you own the stock, when you own the stock of that company, you as the owner get the opportunity to participate in the growth, the profitability, the in some term in some cases cash flows through dividends, you get to participate in the growth of that. So even if you don't own individual companies, let's say you own the S&P 500 ETF or an index fund, you're participating in the growth and the cash flows of the top 500 companies in the United States, which we can agree is probably the top world economy right now. Absolutely. So when you think about a stock, like you said, a lot of people think Wall Street, Yahoo, all this stuff. Mm. If you take a step back and understand what this really is, it's really just a fraction of ownership, a share of ownership in a company that you can buy or sell on the stock market. So essentially, Jose, what you're saying is that a stock is an ownership in a business. So people right. need to just take a step back yeah. and stop thinking of a stock as this complicated, complex thing that only rich people have access to. Exactly. Right? So pretty much anyone and everyone can have access to this market. It's so interesting. You know, we look at the current state of events in the U.S. with this talk about, um, you know, economic inequality and things right. of that nature. But you look at the stock market and if Apple is up 25% in a week or a month, everyone who owns that stock gets a 25% return. That's right. I was, I was sitting down to try and think about it. I was like, how come America didn't find a way to disproportionately make sure that the rich and wealthy are getting more, <laughs> you know, yeah. percentage wise. And, and I was thinking back and I was like, well, maybe they figured that, oh, these people, meaning minorities, probably most of them aren't investing anyways. We won't even look at, you know, <laughs> right. we won't look at the stock market. Exactly. And here we are today, brother. Anyone with a smartphone has access to the stock market, and it is just such a phenomenal opportunity. So with regards to stocks, what are, you know, two things or two qualities or, um, or benchmarks that you feel great stocks or great companies have? Absolutely. So I think, again, it's so important to look at the business, look at the actual underlying company. Don't just look at the, the symbol or whatever it's doing on the chart. Look at the underlying business and understand where is this business at, number one, financially, which is what we cover in our masterclass in the Wealth and Legacy Summer, is uh, understanding the financial health of the company, right? Understanding the balance sheet. 
just like you and I have a balance sheet, just like you and I have assets and liabilities, these businesses have assets and liabilities. And you want to understand, uh, does this company have a lot of debt? And if it has mm -hmm. a lot of debt, what is its runway in terms of its ability to stay in business if something bad happens, aka what we're seeing right now? You mm -hmm. know, companies are going literally bankrupt because they are not getting business. Looking at Hertz, which is an example that we used in the, in the masterclass, you yes. look at not just now, but over the past couple of years, they were already on the fence in terms <laughs> of what their balance sheet looked like. Yeah. And uh, all it took is an event like this and all of a sudden they're out of business and essentially their stock is more or less worthless. Um, so looking at the financials, looking at um, how good is this company at bringing in profits because mm -hmm. the more profitable a company can be over time, that's going to be reflected in the stock price. You look mm -hmm. at companies like Amazon, Netflix, everyone likes to talk about the fangs. Mm -hmm. You look at their earnings per share growth over the past 10, 15, 10 years or so. Yep. And it's no surprise why those yep. companies are at the top of the index. They absolutely. have just absolutely crushed it. And they've just 100. been competitors in their space mm -hmm. and become more profitable year after year after year after year after year. Mm -hmm. um, and then looking at what the company is doing to uh, become more valuable. What is it doing with its profits? Is it reinvesting it back in, its, in itself? Or is it already more of a mature company? Is it trying to re reward its shareholders via dividends, just paying back profits to its owners that way? So it really depends on what you're looking for as an investor. But those are some of the things that you can look at from the financial perspective. And then the other thing I would say is looking at how the company competes with its industry peers, right? Mm -hmm. um, when, when we're looking at things like the PE ratio and, you know, all these other fundamental numbers that we can look at, if you don't have context, it's really hard to know whether or not, you know, this is a good earnings per share or whether or not this is a good ROIC or whatever metric that we're talking about. And the way you know that is by looking at the companies that are competing with that business. Mm -hmm. You know, what are the businesses that are trying to take away from this company's market share? And what are they doing? Uh, how profitable are they? What kind of products do they have? Um, and if, if the company has some sort of competitive advantage, what is it doing to maintain that competitive advantage? What is it doing to continue to grow that advantage over time? So, uh, I'd say short answer, looking at the financials, making sure that it's a healthy company. It's something that I would want to actually own if I was, because I am the business owner. And then looking at how does this company compete relative mm -hmm. to the people or relative to the, excuse me, the companies that are in its space. Mm -hmm. um, because it makes no sense to compare a utility company to a tech company, but it makes yep. a ton of sense to compare a tech company to a tech company because those are the companies that are going for the market share. that are going for the cash flows that you as the owner of the, of the business are entitled to. That's phenomenal. And in the masterclass that you teach in the Wealth and Legacy Summit, you dive in deeper into like actually how to analyze financial statements, right? Right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. We go through the balance sheet, income statement, cash flow statement in some detail, look at real world examples, look at some of the main things to be looking for and, and really make it easy to follow along. So that way you can do it on your own whenever you're doing your own research. Phenomenal. So for someone who, let's say, started investing February, March, when the market, you know, had a pullback or as Main Street would say, a crash because mm -hmm. they want regular people to think the stock market crashes, right? right. I, I often say, how can something crash and be open the next day? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. It's, it's so funny. So 
individuals who perhaps were following my uh, feed or maybe other um, you know, finance experts who saw that the market had pulled back and they started investing. Mm-hmm. Many of them are looking at portfolios right now with, you know, pretty nice growth. And they are thinking to themselves, if they are a beginner, hey, let me sell and take some profits. So what do you say to that individual who's looking to sell right now? And also, after you've answered that, when is, a ri- when is it the right time to sell? Yeah, that's great. That's a great question there. So um, definitely have seen a run up in the stock market since the lows, which, you know, if you got in at that point, is good to see. I think it's incredibly important that you remain invested, that you just don't go straight to cash because um, it's always going to be easy to look back in hindsight and say, oh, I knew the market was going to crash or, oh, I knew it was going to shoot up. But in reality, no one really knows when the next 10, 15 percent drop or the next 10, 15 percent rise up is going to be. If you're going to be selling positions, if you're going to be trimming back positions, there's nothing wrong with that. If you feel like, you know, maybe this particular company has become overvalued relative to what I think it's worth, you can definitely shave off part of that position and take those profits and reinvest it back into a different part of the market or a different asset class. You know, if you want to have some diversification and own some REITs or, you know, uh, gold, whatever. So, it's incredibly important that you remain invested. Uh, if you go look at, there's plenty of studies that talk about the importance of not missing the big days in the market, because if you just miss a couple of those, uh, it can really, really have a massive impact on your returns over a 10, 15, 20 year period. And the thing is, we just don't know when those big days are going to come. So the way that you make sure you don't miss out on those is you remain invested. Because, you know, they're always going to be the headlines saying, oh, this is a bubble. We need to go to cash. And you know, there are plenty of indicators out there that we can look at economically and whatnot. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're not. But I don't care how smart you are. No yes. one knows when the entire market is going to take another hit, Absolutely. especially with the aggressive Federal Reserve that we have right now. They are not letting up. And they've literally come out on television and said, we have all the power that we need to keep this thing going. So um, to answer the first question, you know, uh, kind of if you feel like maybe a couple of different positions have become maybe overvalued relative to what you think they can earn in terms of the business profits over the over time, then you can scale back and maybe add that to different parts of your portfolio. But you have to remain invested as far as when when to think maybe a company has become overvalued. What you can look at is. It's current what it's worth right now relative to its earnings potential over the next five years or so, which is what Wall Street analysts usually use, uh, either earnings per share growth or free cash flow over the next five years. Mm -hmm. And the way that you know, there's a couple ways you can potentially know is you can either look at the P.E. ratio, the price to earnings per share ratio. If that becomes super, super high relative to maybe industry peers, Mm -hmm. then that may be a a consideration to say, okay, well, maybe I need to scale back a little bit of this position. Or if it, if the current price only makes sense, if the company has to really, really, really increase its earnings per share growth over the next five, 10 years, Mm -hmm. then you can say, okay, there's no way that this company can increase its earnings by, you know, 50, 20 or 50, 100, 150, whatever percent over the next Mm -hmm. five years. So, You know, there are great tools that you can use to do that. Um, There's a website called Guru Focus that has an excellent, uh, excellent um, discounted cash flow calculator, which you can use to kind of play around with and say, okay, well, 
if this company grows by this much, its profits over this much, this is what it's worth today. Um, so and I know that's a little bit more advanced, but that's really how you value a business. Mm-hmm. What it's worth today is really just the present value of the profits over the next couple of years. And if those profits aren't really realistic, then maybe it's overvalued and you can consider moving up to another opportunity. You know, the way that I like to view investments, right, in the future. So, for example, using this discussion to look at an actual example. So, for ex- so Zoom, right? We know mm-hmm. Zoom has run up. Um, when you look at P ratio and all of that, it's substantial. Yeah, <laughs> right. It is. Because, because everyone is ex- everyone just viewed it as kind of like the COVID stock. Right. So, we have a P ratio, which is highly inflated. Right. I look at Zoom, I look into the future. And for me, I'm not even calculating, you know, present value and, you know, cash flows right. and, and all of that. I'm looking at it as what can Zoom create to bring in more revenue? Or, yes. you know, what is Zoom going to do to consistently continue to grow? Because at the end of the day, we have to look at the company right now. Okay, what is the company worth? How much is it bringing in in revenue? And looking over the next five to 10 years, what is Zoom going to do? Because if the only thing Zoom is doing is selling $15 or $20 subscriptions to video conferencing, I mean, it's not sustainable, right? Right. So then that's the only thing that might make, make me a little bit hesitant, right? to right. perhaps invest in Zoom right now because Absolutely. I, I can't look into the future and say, okay, in five years, but let's take another example, Amazon. Amazon is also at its 52-week high, meaning mm-hmm. that it's, and I'm explaining for people listening, meaning that it's at the highest uh, point over the past year. Right. But I can still look into the future and say, hey, if Amazon goes stores, go live, right? Across the country or across the world, that's additional revenue. If Amazon, you know, creates its logistics business, which which is a $1 trillion industry, that's more revenue for growth. If Amazon rolls out PillPack, which is its pharmacy business, oh my gosh, (laughs) more, (laughs) more areas of growth. If Amazon keeps hosting different companies, like many people listening, they don't know that um, Amazon Web Services powers AWS, yep. AWS powers Netflix, <laughs> right? Yep. Many people yep. don't even know. So then once I see all of these different reasons for Amazon to continue to grow, I can look at the price right now or I can look at the value of the company right now. And without doing too much math or calculations or things of that right. nature, I can confidently invest in in Amazon. So you all, I just wanted to go through that to let you know how I think through, you know, uh, my investments. Now, for Jose, for some people who are not really um, cognizant, or if I should say, familiar with the stock analysis process, what mm-hmm. they do is they go look at the stock price, right? So they go to Yahoo Finance, or Robinhood, and, and they look at Amazon and they see that it's $2,700. And they say right. to themselves, oh, the price is too expensive. So it's, it's not a good buy. What, can you please talk to people who are listening right now who keep looking at their stock price to determine the value of a company? 
Yeah, of course. Well, it's uh, it's cliche, but it's 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 a very very powerful line by Buffett, and he says, "Price is what you pay, and value is what you get." Right. Mm-hmm. So we we're talking about that that future growth of, in this case, uh, Amazon. I'll use a company that I'm a huge fan of, which is Microsoft, and they directly compete with um, AWS. Amazon. With AWS, but. Mm-hmm. Their management, um, you know, Saudi Nadella has been the CEO for a couple of years and they've completely turned that company around. Absolutely. Completely turned that company around. And they are taking Azure, which is their their cloud service, really to the next level. And they're beating out contracts for Amazon. And, you you know, you look at the um, the 10K and that you look at what portion of the revenue has come from cloud. And you can tell Microsoft is super aggressive in that space. <laughs> they are serious about the cloud at Microsoft. Yeah, they- my best friend works there and he talks to me about it all the time. <laughs> so that's what I look at. You know, Microsoft recently hit 200 and people are saying, oh, you know, what's the close to that 52 week high. I just don't know <laughs> if it's a good buy. Well, I don't think that Microsoft's going to let up when it comes to that cloud computing mm-hmm. business. I mean, mm-hmm. everything is going to the cloud more and more and more and more and more and more. So um, that doesn't mean that the price is going to shoot straight up, of course, but the way I see the world going, the way I see the demand for cloud, I think that Microsoft has a lot of upside in terms of what they can do over the next couple of years. So, you know, looking at things like that, understanding what the company is is really doing, where management is taking the company, understanding the future of the company. Again, we don't have to get into the nitty gritty. If you understand those types of things and understand that it may take some time for that to develop, I think you'll be very glad that you own a company that had that level of, of vision and clarity and direction over the next couple of years. Phenomenal. So, Jose, for people who are listening, as you know, for individuals who follow financial accounts, there are certain accounts that kind of put talk about stock trading, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and what do you have to say for individuals who have this notion that they can just trade stocks? I want you to speak to kind of like the facts that you and I know, which is that no one can predict what a stock is going to do. So then what do you say to an individual who, you know, is starting to invest and the first thing that they want to do is to go trade stocks? Yeah. So I'll tell you, everything I talk about just comes from the real life professional world. Um, You know, none of this stuff, I I I don't try to cover anything that I don't have experience with. That's why I don't talk about real estate. That's why I don't talk about anything else. I only talk about what I've actually worked with. And I can tell you how the professional world operates in terms of investing is, like I mentioned earlier, the accumulation of assets, having a plan around what you're accumulating those assets for, understanding your risk tolerance, understanding what an ideal asset allocation is or investment mix is, and using all these different things to come up with a real long-term financial plan. Because like we talked about earlier, wealth takes time to build, right? And that's what we're doing. We're accumulating assets, whether you're indexing, whether you're owning individual companies, whether you're doing both, you're accumulating assets to have the potential to not only kick off income from dividends, but also appreciate in value. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I know that there are people out there that have been successful uh, trading stocks. And what I do is I tip my cap to them. Great job. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to hate on anybody that was, has been successful in doing something. But mm. I think that people don't understand that those types of, of examples are outliers. And it's extremely difficult. And the majority of people that take that route are not very successful. And what happens is, you know, people will make a couple of trades and they make some money and they start feeling very confident about themselves. And 
you know, that $5,000 gain quickly turns into a $10,000 loss, even if you're losing, using the stop losses and all those different things. So I think that, um, you know, people my age, especially, because I know I have a lot of people that follow me that are on the kind of like Robin Hood train and, and you know, they're mm-hmm. trying to make all these risky plays and, you know, trying to trade the options and whatnot. If you want to speculate, that's fine. But I think that you really need to understand what true wealth creation is and what it takes over time and understanding what you can actually afford to speculate without Mm -hmm. completely destroying your entire financial plan. Because that's what we're talking about from the professional perspective. It's about creating a serious financial plan for you to create wealth over a period of time, using the capital markets, using the stock market, whatever to do so. And if you're going to do some of that, um, you know, some of that speculative stuff, options trading, day trading, whatever, be extremely careful with how much of your investable net worth you dedicate to that. That's just my opinion on it. I like that you said that because a very good friend of mine, and he's actually in the summit, right? He's teaching about options in the Mm -hmm. summit. I, I've always been the person who, when I hear about the short term trades and things like that, I just get very hesitant because you look at the way, the way that the world works and life doesn't just reward short-term things. Like the way that like, the world is set up, it, you, you cannot consistently, right, just make money over a short period of time. I like to look at trading as every time a person trades, there's a 50% chance that they are going to make money or lose money, which means right. that Every single time that they come to <laughs> the drawing board, there's, there's a risk, there's an inherent risk there versus right. when you are in it for the long term, all of a sudden you're just capturing the entire gains of the market or capturing Absolutely. certain momentum in the market, right? As it relates to technology, things of that nature. And that is less risky, less of a gamble. But I see all of that to say that uh, my good friend, um, trader Travis, he told me, Hans, even, even though I'm a trader, even though I won the U.S. investing championship, I only trade with 10 to 20 percent of my capital. 80 percent to 90 percent of that capital is in long term investing. And I was yep. like, brother, we're speaking the same language. Yep. Sure. If you if you're taking 10 to 20 percent of your assets and you want to trade stocks, be my guest. Like, be my guest. And if you make money, hey, I'll cheer you on. Once you have a larger portion of your, you know, your assets for the long term, because that's the right way to go. So, yeah, I don't hate on individuals who are trading or anything like that. It's just that I just hope that, like Trader Travis, they are being able to communicate what we're just discussing right now. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's such a big thing. So what's the number one advice? And you all, if you have any questions, go ahead and just hit the question mark below next to the comments box and leave the question in there. And we're going to dive into a few questions in about five minutes. So what's the, um, I want to look for like a very, very good question. Um, so let's, let's look at Hertz. Okay. Yeah. So this company announced that they are filing, um, they're literally going to be bankrupt. Right. And stock drops to about 50 cents or 30 cents. And all of a sudden, it starts increasing like over 300%. Yeah. 
what is what is driving that particular stock for a company that is supposed to be bankrupt? Yeah, I mean it's just complete speculation. Uh, mm. It's not it's not rational behavior, right? When mm. you when you go to school for finance, they talk to you about so much about rational behavior and whatnot. This is a classic example of the fact that people aren't always rational with their money. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with the, the Robin Hood crowd. I mean, right now there's a narrative <laughs> in finance, financial media about the Robin Hood versus, you know, the Wall Street. And you're seeing it with the, the Barstool guy as well. So I think it's just a lot of people right now, um, you know, <laughs> being home and uh, <laughs> watching the news and, and, you know, trying to make a lot of money off of speculative trades. And, you know, I'm sure there's probably been some, money, some people that made some money out of that, but the odds of you doing success there, the yeah. odds of you doing that consistently um, are, are not great. Um, so I think it's just a matter of people watching the news a lot and uh, maybe they don't understand the risks involved or maybe they do understand the risks and they just don't care. And they're making, you know, not the wisest uh, decisions with their capital. So I, I think that has a lot to do with it. Mm. So for in the summit, you're teaching how to analyze financial statements. So if an individual was using the information that you're teaching in, the, in, the, in your masterclass, how will they be able to determine that Hertz is not an ideal investment? Yeah, absolutely. So first thing that I, I looked at in the income statement was their revenues. Their revenues have been flat for the past five years. They have not increased their, their <laughs> revenues. One of the ways to become more profitable is to sell more, and they haven't been doing that. So that's one thing. Uh, their costs have not gone down. So in order, if you're going to be flat in terms of your earnings, you have to reduce your costs in order to become more profitable. They haven't done that. Um, you look at things like their free cash flow, which is what you can say is the real bottom line after the profits, after the taxes, after the investments that they make back into the business. It's been negative for the past five years and negative big, right? Um, you know, you look at their balance sheet, they're just really, really strapped for cash. They haven't had um, you know, uh, enough cash to make it through this crisis. When you look at com uh, companies like, you know, Apple, which of course is a, a giant, but they have so much cash where they could be out of business for a year and be fine. So this company has just been treading water essentially for the past five years. And, uh, you know, you, you, you kind of look at companies almost like individuals and you're looking at a person's personal financial picture and all it takes is one bad thing. And eventually that bad thing happened. Uh, you know, Hertz is very dependent on travel, obviously, and no one's traveling because we, we can't. And that pushed them um, over the edge. So uh, lack of increase in profitability over time, bad balance sheet, really bad free cash flows. And, you know, that's kind of a recipe for eventually something bad happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you all were going to transition into the Q&A. Um, Brother, I wanted to say this has been absolutely incredible. For you all that's listening, before we transition into q and I wanted to let you know that um, all of what we've discussed and more is available in the Wealth and Legacy Summit. You know, Jose, I watched your lesson, right? Because for me, I just constantly want to learn. And I was just very moved by the information, right? And you teach it at at such a level that anyone, even a beginner, can come in and understand how to look at a company's financial statements, right? 
cash flow balance sheets income statements and and it's phenomenal so Thank let's you. go yeah absolutely brother let's go ahead and 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 dive into the questions so it says is robin hood not good what should we use to invest so i'm not going to say robin hood is not not good mm-hmm. i just you know i personally i use merrill edge i still with Merrill, even after I left them, I, I like them because they're reliable, they have good customer service. They have mm. fantastic research, which is through Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, which I'm still a big reader of. And, um, you know, they're, they're really, really reliable. Um, the thing mm. about Robinhood is they, the way they make the money. And a lot of people don't know this is they actually sell their data to hedge funds. And they say, Hey, mm. these are how our users, these are how our, our, investors or traders are trading and they're literally selling that data to the hedge funds mm-hmm. so the hedge funds can make trades and moves based off of that information um, and of course you know when the when the volatility really hit in the first quarter they had several outages which really cost people some money uh, which is not a good thing to see in a in a platform um, so I just tell people, listen, the, the platform that you use is not necessarily what's going to make you successful. I think it's, it's great that they're low cost or essentially no cost. That's, that's fine. I think that you can be successful using Robinhood. I just think that you need to go with a platform that's low cost that keeps mm-hmm. the fees low, which Robinhood does is reliable, which, you know, you can make an argument. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. They have customer service. If you ever have questions about your account or you need tax statements or you need assistance with something. Uh, I don't know how Robin Hood does in that department. So, you know, I get, I get that question quite a bit. I have nothing against Robin Hood. I know they target my generation and you know, they seem to have a decent product. Mm-hmm. I just want people to be aware of the fact that they've had some issues and hopefully they've worked through it. Um, and that um, a lot of people don't use the platform to invest. They use it to kind of speculate. So, just be very careful about what platforms you use and have a clear reason as to why you use them. Absolutely. Yeah, there are a ton of um, different brokerage apps. There's Cash App. There is um, Schwab. Um, there's StockPile. Yep. There's Stash. So, uh, you know, TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, tons and tons. Merrill Edge, I've seen a couple of the comments. So there are tons of brokerage firms. At the end of the day, do your research, do your due diligence, and um, yeah, so the next question that I have here, I think it's a common question that we hear all the time. People think that to invest in, in stock, they need to own one share, right? They feel like they have to at least be able to buy one share before they can invest. What do you, right. what do you say to the person who has this mentality? Yeah, so uh, there's, there's a thing called fractional shares, which are becoming much and much more common now. Uh, I know Schwab is launching their service. I think they're marketing it as like stock slices or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's other platforms out there. I know Fidelity offers the ability to own fractional shares as well. So you don't necessarily have to own the entire share. If, if maybe, you know, it's a company like Amazon where they haven't done a stock split. And, you know, maybe 3000 a share or whatever is, is maybe, you know, out, out of your capacity at the time. So you could consider using a service that allows you to own a fractional share. So in the case of Amazon, let's say that you only have the 1500 to invest in that individual stock. Well, you could do so. You could own half of the share and you'd still participate in, you know, the growth of the company over time. Um, and then you can also do the, the ETF route. 
people forget these ETFs, they own the, 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 the companies, the stocks. So mm-hmm. if you own, you know, the XLK ETF, which is the, the State Street uh, financial sector ETF, you're owning the banks throughout that. So, um, you know, I, I understand that there are companies that just haven't s- split their stock and maybe they, they seem from a price perspective expensive, but there are ways to participate in, in the growth of that company through through technology today, it's, I think it's going to become a standard where every brokerage platform is going to use uh, yeah, fractional shares sure. just Absolutely. just to make it easier for people to own these companies. So um, I would consider that, and um, and also looking at things like ETFs, which will still give you um, which will still give you uh, exposure and access to those companies without having to own the entire um, company. Absolutely. For individuals who are wondering. Or some people ask stocks versus ETFs, you know, what, what do you say to them? Yeah. So I think that you need to understand the risks involved with owning individual companies because, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can get a lot of this, which can be hard to stomach. And um, it takes more research and um, some more work really to to. Uh, successfully own individual companies versus ETFs. I personally like a mix of the two. You know, yeah. when I was in charge of managing portfolios, the portfolios that we ran had both. Mm-hmm. And that's called a core satellite strategy, where the majority of your assets are in, you know, blended ETFs, index funds, whatever. And then you have some individual companies that you feel really good about and you think that they can provide you with some excess returns because owning individual companies can provide you with higher levels of returns relative to index runs, relative to ETFs. Yes, but there's also much more risk involved and you need to understand um, the the risks that can come with owning that individual company because it's not very uncommon for you to buy an individual stock and all of a sudden the stock price drops. Doesn't mean you made a bad investment. That's just part of the part of the game. It's part of owning individual companies. You know, companies can fluctuate five, ten percent day to day. if if the S and P five hundred fluctuate five to ten percent, that's um that's a big deal. That's making that's headlines. Deal. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So yeah, um, you know, what you're saying is so true. I, I believe in kind of like a blend of the two. Right. For individuals who are curious, when you have direct exposure to companies, the great thing about it is you don't need to throw a ton of money into stocks to to see significant returns. Like that right. is what's mind blowing. Like, you know, a few hundred dollars here can truly make a significant difference over a long period of time if a person is consistent and they have like a, you know, a group of stocks that they consistently invest in while having a decent amount of money in more of your index funds, you know, ETFs, things of that nature. So that's that's phenomenal. Uh, Someone is saying, um, I have a thousand dollars to invest. Uh, (laughs) How do I think about it? And I don't want us to to talk about it from the standpoint of telling the person what to do with a thousand dollars, but let's, let, let's use you so you can share yours and I'll share mine. If you had a thousand dollars right now, what would you do? And, and in actuality, if you can talk about a blend of the both, right? So ETFs and then stocks and actually name, um, you know, possible investments that you would consider with that yeah. thousand mm-hmm. yeah of course so um i mean I, I think it number one i would look at it from the perspective of you know what is the purpose of the thousand dollars is it to mm-hmm. actually start building 
uh, a portfolio for yourself or is it kind mm. of like to to take some excess risk and try to hit a home run mm. um if it's if it's if you're looking for kind of like that second option there more of a speculative play you know mm. i i forward looking here i definitely think that blockchain technology is going to become mm. more of a staple in our world like we're talking about the cloud i yes. definitely think I definitely think that um, blockchain is going to be that thing, not just mm -hmm. with the cryptocurrencies, but yep. the, literally the application of society and, and how things work and logistics, et cetera. Absolutely. You know, I really, I'm really, really bullish on the company Advanced Micro Devices, AMD. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they have completely turned their their story around over the past couple of years, and, and mm -hmm. they're really, really growing. They have uh, really, really strong management. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, not only do they do well with Sony and, and, and their partnership there, but a lot of these now a lot of these miners, essentially, with the with the, the, with the cryptocurrency space, they mm -hmm. like using AMD uh, chips because they're reliable and um, they can use them in their rigs. And um, I think that with the advent of mining and just blockchain technology in general. I think that's a company that has the ability to become more valuable over time. I think it's going to be really risky. It's going to be up and down because that's just mm -hmm. how the semiconductor uh, space operates. You know, if you're looking for more of a less risky play, you know, you could uh, do a mix of, you know, the S&P 500 index fund. And then maybe uh, I think a lot of people are sleeping on emerging markets. Mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's super it's risky. It can be undervalued. Super risky, obviously, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, 80% of the world's population lives in emerging markets. And, you, you know, China is growing quickly. India is growing quickly. Those those economies only have the ability to, to continue to grow. doesn't mean it's going to be easy or straight up ride. Um, but, you know, getting some global diversification is important as well. So just throwing some ideas out there, but maybe some things to consider. Yeah. Um, for me, I'll take that thousand and I'll buy Facebook. <laughs> yeah, there you go, man. Um, Mark Zuckerberg. I don't know. I keep, you know, just consistently saying this. If we all had the opportunity to go back to invest in Bill Gates when he was, you know, young, right? right. We'd all take that opportunity. Mark Zuckerberg is a genius. Besides yeah. him, the closest that I can imagine is uh, is Elon Musk, right? And and Jeff Bezos. But he's more focused on Amazon, which is phenomenal. But man, I feel like Mark Zuckerberg, that he is a genius. You he talk is. about blockchain technology, they've already, they're already creating a digital currency right. to power the entire world, right? I mean, he's, he already has the foundation for augmented reality and virtual reality. He hasn't even started tapping into it yet. Right. He's always a step ahead. So in, in my case, I'll put that thousand towards Facebook. And yeah. in terms of, of ETFs, I think that I'll do a technology ETF. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I'll just do a tech it's ETF. It's hard to shoot it down. Yeah, I'll, I'll do a tech ETF. Just, you know, the coronavirus, ha what it's done is it's sped up a lot of what should have happened over the next, let's say, five five years or so. It's all of it. Well, I shouldn't say all, but most of it has happened in a short period of time. Like how many companies were talking about having 25% of their workforce or 50% of their workforce working from home, right? But right. all of a sudden, the coronavirus has forced them to have that discussion. It's, it's 
allowed individuals to start looking at things like uh, digital health, right? Mm -hmm. Which is just phenomenal. Um, companies that provide cloud services, like you're right. saying. So yeah, that's the way that <laughs> I would personally uh, think about it. So man, it's been a phenomenal discussion. I think we no have doubt. about three minutes here. Let me try and see if there's um, a question here that I might have missed. Let's see. Okay, we'll take this uh, this last one. What's your take on airline and oil stocks at this time? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you know, that, that's got a lot of headlines, especially yeah. when, when Buffett kind of dumped them. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, his, his, his thought process to me made sense from a, from a pure business valuation perspective. You know, he's thinking that these airlines have too many planes relative to the amount of people that are going to be flying, et cetera, because you're talking about with with uh, the way the world is changing. He's, his thing is, um, you know, maybe these businesses are relying or realizing that a lot of these business meetings can be done via Zoom or whatever. Um, so it's hard to tell. And it's also a cyclical industry. You know, we're in a recession right now. There's no telling how long this recession is going to last. Do I think people are going to stop flying? Absolutely not. I mean, you know, I think that, you know, I think that the airlines could be a solid turnaround play. It's just going to take time and it's going to be risky for some time. And it's got to be something where you buy into it. You almost forget that you own it. And then once uh, everything recovers, then you can consider maybe uh, getting out of it. Yeah, as far as oil goes, you know, that's that's a super risky play, um, especially <laughs> with, with demand right now, how we saw what happened with the, uh, the futures contracts. I would just be very careful, especially I, I'm not going to pretend like I know the ins and outs of the oil industry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, not many people do unless they're commodities traders or work in that space. But, yep. you know, commodities are good to own as uh, diversifiers and inflation hedges, et cetera. But I'd be very careful with that. I think the airlines are going to be turnaround plays. I think it's going to take some time. And I would go for the ones that are in the best uh, shape financially. Yeah. And this is not a recommendation, but I believe Southwest has the best financials, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you all, we have about a minute left. Um, and real quick, Jose, um, uh, one of, um, I had a question come in, uh, your favorite book that you would recommend in terms of from an investing book? Uh, so I'd have to say probably One Up on Wall Street. I'm a big one fan up on of Wall Peter Street. Lynch. Okay. Uh, Peter Lynch is great. He, he helps you understand things from a business perspective. Super Absolutely. easy to understand. Um, the, the easiest probably just from a just very, very beginner perspective is probably the little book of common sense investing by uh, Jack Bogle, who is the founder of Vanguard. But mm -hmm. uh, I go back to one up on Wall Street all the time. Absolutely. So you all, this has been incredible. Um, Jose, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. As everyone who tuned in can tell, you are a wealth of knowledge. The discussion has been phenomenal. If you're interested in learning more, the Wealth and Legacy Summit is still available. You can go to the link in my bio or you can head over to the link in Jose's bio and secure your seat for the Wealth and Legacy Summit. Brother, thank you so much for all that you do. I, I, I keep saying this, like consistently, you continue to deliver incredible content. You are serving people. You're making such a huge difference in their lives. You know, the little things that we overlook, man, it's allowing the next generation to be able to build a tremendous amount of wealth. And, and it's going to make such a huge impact. So thank you. 
It's a pleasure, Hans. Thank you for what you do. I appreciate you letting me be a part of the Wealth and Legacy Summit.